ever had to wait? You ever had to wait on something for a long time? Uh, something that uh, you were highly anticipating uh, and you had to persevere through that time of patience? Have you ever had to, to just put your head down and persevere through an unexpected or difficult time? Have you ever, you ever gone through something that you wished would pass much quicker than it actually is? Have you ever felt uh, weak and powerless in the face of seemingly insurmountable obstacles? I have a couple of friends that are, are going through <clears throat> some circumstances like these, and just very different, um, although somewhat similar circumstances. Uh, the first is Jason Tibbs. Maybe some of you know him, many of you know him. If you don't know him, you've probably seen him around. Jason is uh, involved in our First Impressions team. Um, he's on our prayer team. He's on our online team. He helps out in student ministry when he can. Um, what stands out to us about Jason uh, when we see him is he is, um, I believe the term is tetraplegic. Um, I said quadriplegic last service, but I don't think that's right. He's got some use of his hands, um, but not the rest of his body. When he was 18, he was in a diving accident, broke his neck, and he's been paralyzed ever since. He's in his 40s now. And uh, one of the things that happened to Jason a while back was uh, he developed a, a bed sore that got infected and had to have surgery and uh, went down to Springfield for this surgery a while back. And unfortunately, it came back. And so he's now back down in Springfield um, having this surgery uh, again, something he's already gone through once. Now, what's unique about this experience is he has to lay flat on his back for six weeks. I can't even imagine. I can't sit still for 30 seconds, right? He has to sit, laying, lay on his back, staring at the ceiling for six weeks and just to let that heal. And not only that, he's in a special bed. It's called an air bed. Um, it looks like a giant bathtub and it's got a uh, kind of a rubber tarp strapped over it tight. And inside of this bathtub are these uh, pellets and something. I'm not sure exactly what they are, but there's a blower attached to it that's constantly circulating these pellets and it's, it's keeping him afloat uh, with no pressure on his body. And, and it sounds amazing, except the sound is horrible because it's a blower constantly by his head that just sounds like this. Like we got annoyed at 15 seconds of that, right? Like imagine that for six weeks. It's insane. Like he's, he's, he's sitting here going through um, all of this. And I had the chance to go down on Friday to, to visit him and um, just talk with him, encourage him, and, and pray him through this. And, you know, and he's hoping that this surgery takes, but he doesn't know. He, he's patiently enduring this, this unexpected season of his life. Uh, another friend of mine is a pastor in Arizona, and uh, this is his little girl, Peyton, a uh, beautiful little girl, I think kindergarten, first grade. Um, last week at school, she was running out to the school bus, slipped on some sand, fell forward, hit her head on a fence post, fell backwards, hit the back of her head on the concrete, went unconscious, developed a brain bleed. Um, 911 was called, was rushed from the school to the hospital and immediate brain surgery to relieve the pressure on her brain. And she was um, unconscious, obviously heavily sedated. Um, the brain, the first surgery didn't take. They had a second one to drain more of the fluid. And her parents have obviously been standing vigil uh, by her side. And they're just waiting and they're hoping and they're praying uh, for complete and total healing. Have you ever, have you ever had to wait? You ever had to, to patiently endure something that you maybe never expected to happen in your life? 
Maybe it wasn't a, a medical thing. Maybe it was uh, a pregnancy. You and your, your spouse were uh, eager to have children, and for whatever reason, you couldn't, and you had to wait. Maybe it was a, a home to sell. All of your, your neighbor's homes are going like that, but your home sits on the market for months and months and months, and you can't figure out why. Maybe it's retirement. Some of you uh, were set to retire in 2008, and then the recession hit, and you lost 60% of your retirement income, and you find yourself still working years later after you expected to retire, and you're wondering, will there be an end to this? Will there be a point where I can retire? Maybe it's a, a relationship that you need to restore that you're hoping to have restored, but you're not sure, and day by day goes by, and you're wondering, will, will the friendship, will the relationship ever go back to what it was? Maybe it's you're waiting for your chance to get on the courts or on the field. Maybe it's waiting for a new job. Many of you know that, that I've turned in my resignation as student pastor for the church, and this is my last school year with us, and just trying to figure out still what's next. And I'm in this season of waiting. I'm not just sitting back. I'm obviously active. I'm talking to places, but I don't know where I'm going to land. And some of you have been there, and you're waiting, sometimes patiently, sometimes not so patiently, but you don't know what to expect. You don't know when it's going to end. We don't like to wait, do we? It's not something that, that most of us embrace. When we're presented with the opportunity to wait, we're not thanking God for this moment, right? We're, we're more like the microwave than the crock pot. We want 30 seconds to microwave be done, not the crock pot that sits and stews for hours upon hours upon hours. And, and yet intuitively we all know that food in a crock pot is so much better than a food in a microwave, right? But we don't have that patience in our lives. We live in a culture that doesn't enjoy the prospect of, prospect of patiently enduring difficult times. We want to we rush through them quickly, as quickly as possible. If we fall down, we, we want to jump back up, brush ourselves off, and move on as if nothing happened. And yet, John Maxwell, a leadership guru, says, when you fall down, you might as well pick something up while you're down there. So stay there, look around, see what maybe God wants to do while you're down on the ground. Throughout the Bible, uh, we read verse after verse after verse where we're challenged to, to persevere, to endure. Uh, these references are in your, your bulletin. I just want to read through them really quickly. Romans 5.3, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Romans 12.12, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Galatians 6.9, let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Colossians 1.11, we also pray that you'll be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. Hebrews 10.36, patient endurance is what you need now so you will continue to do God's will. Then you'll receive all that he has promised. James 1, 2, and 3, brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. James just a few verses later, says God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Are you, are you picking up a theme here? Over and over and over, we read about endurance and patience and long-suffering, and yet we can't stand it. In Revelation chapter 2, Pastor Jake talked about the church in Smyrna a few weeks ago. Remind you of those words, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer, Jesus says. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. We've been in this series called Dear Church. 
It's based on uh, the seven churches, the seven letters to the seven churches in chapter in Revelation chapters two and three. And uh, Pastor Jake has taught through the first five churches. If you haven't heard those, I encourage you to go back to iTunes to our website to listen to those. Uh, today we're going to look at the the church in Philadelphia. Uh, we know that city, that name, because it's one of our own American cities. It's the city of brotherly love. I thought about bringing up some chili, Philly cheesesteaks, right, and hand them out to everybody. Um, maybe, maybe playing Rocky music as I came up on stage. And um, some of you don't know this, but every Thursday, whoever's preaching on Sunday, um, we preach to the other pastors, and, and the other pastors critique and give feedback. And, and so we do that in the room over there. And this past Thursday was my day to do that, obviously. And I was a little late finishing notes and stuff to hand out for them as, as they could write down things. And so everybody else was already in there, and I come walking in, and Travis Grant, our leadership resident, had the Rocky music themed, you know, queued up, ready to go as I, I walked in. Um, you know, Creed, of course, for the next generation. Like, you, you know that's Rocky, right? It's just for the next generation. So just make sure you know that. That's based on what we grew up with. Um, but the church in Philadelphia is a little unique. It's one of only two churches that Jesus doesn't rebuke. He has nothing bad to say to the church in Philadelphia. Smyrna is the only other one. Uh, Jesus' letter to them is, is simply a word of encouragement to persevere uh, through difficult times. Read with me, if you would, uh, the letter that Jesus writes to Philadelphia. Chapter 3, verse 7. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength that you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your, your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. And then words that should be familiar to us if you've been with us in the Dear Church series. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. The city of Philadelphia um, still exists today. It's under a different name. And I was able to find a couple of pictures that uh, represent it. Um, this is uh, pictures of pillars from a, a, a church that was built actually in the 6th century, so after Jesus wrote this letter uh, to the church in, in Philadelphia. Uh, here are some, um, I believe the plural is sarcophagi. Um, we learned that last service. Um, here's some sarcophagi that are found in, the, in Philadelphia still today. Um, and what's interesting that I learned about the, the Christians in Philadelphia, if you were here a few weeks ago and you heard Pastor Jake talk about Polycarp and how he was, was put to death by Rome, um, 11 Christians from Philadelphia were put to, put to death by Polycarp's side that same day. And so they have this long history of, of enduring persecution, intense persecution. Uh, Philadelphia was an outpost of Hellenism, which is a, a mix of Greek and Roman culture and, and deities. And so they had this uh, pluralistic religious society that these Christians had to stand up to. Uh, we, we see Jesus write about the synagogue of Satan. There's a poetic term, right? You don't want that title to your name of the church. Um, but obviously there's some Jews that were oppositional to the Christians and, and maybe even false Jews. Not only that, but the area was, was plagued by natural disasters, primarily earthquakes, 
In AD 17, there was a, a, such a massive earthquake that it leveled almost the entire city. Tiberius, the Caesar, the emperor, uh, sent so much money to rebuild Philadelphia that they considered renaming the city Neo-Caesarea um, after him. And as many, uh, we, many of us know with earthquakes, it's not just the single earthquake, but oftentimes it's the aftershocks, right? And this area was plagued by aftershocks for 20 years after AD 17. And so in the face of all of this, the, the people, the church in Philadelphia was called to persevere, to never give up. You know, for, for many of us, sometimes we can feel like the church in Philadelphia. We're, we're facing one thing after another. We find ourselves <clears throat> confronted by something that we don't see an end to. Will we ever walk out of this again healthy and whole? We're tempted to give up thinking that we can bear no more. And these are the moments in our faith and we'll be challenged to endure. We'll be called upon to persevere, to, to hold fast, to stand firm, to never give up, to finish the race. Unfortunately, it's in moments and seasons like these that people oftentimes compromise their faith or, or give up their faith. And they simply say, this isn't what I signed up for. I love the fact that that Jesus never offers a simple faith. The, the call to follow him was a call to sacrifice, to give up, to deny self, to submit to him. And it's a radical call of obedience. And we see in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And, and, the, and there's a, a person who says he will follow him. Read, uh, if you will, as you, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 56. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Great, bold declaration, going to follow you wherever you go. But Jesus kind of understood where he was going, and he says, listen, let me be real with you. Foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to live his head, lay his head. Do you want to be homeless? Because right now that's what it means to follow me, he was saying to that man. As he's continuing to walk along, Jesus actually initiates a, a conversation with someone. And he said to another person, come, follow me. And the man agreed, absolutely, I'll, I'll follow you, Jesus definitely going to follow you. But he said, Lord, first, let me return home and bury my father. My dad just died. And uh, obviously my family needs me. It's my dad. He means a lot to me. Can I, can I go home and bury him first? And Jesus says something kind of shocking, a little harsh. He says, let the, the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another uh, said, yes, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Another uh, seemingly logical request. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. You know, I, I never try to sell students and adults, anybody, on a simple faith. Because following Jesus is not easy. Following Jesus will cost you. It will cost you time, it will cost you friendships, it will cost you money, it will cost freedom. I, I never try to, to paint an easy picture of following Jesus. A, a few weeks ago, we uh, took students, uh, middle school and high school, 7th grade through 12th grade, up to Miracle Camp, where the, the men are this weekend and where the women are going in a few weeks. And we took them up there for Ice Camp, our annual winter retreat. And uh, winter retreat, if you've never been, if you've never been to Miracle Camp for Man Camp Women's Retreat, uh, any of the student stuff, um, so it's, it's a weekend filled with chapel sessions, and you have a speaker, and you have a, a worship team or an individual leading worship, 
um, four sessions, and after each of those sessions, we do small group conversations, and so our groups will get broken down, and, and we have our leaders take a small group of students, and you talk about what the, the speaker was talking about, and then, of course, there's games and activities and all the fun stuff, right, and, and uh, it was just an incredible weekend, and Saturday night, just a few weeks ago, we were up at Miracle Camp, and it was um, this night that um, just God seems to use Saturday night. Maybe it's sleep deprivation, I'm not sure, uh, but th there's something where we're more open to the Holy Spirit on Saturday night, a lot of times. And, and so the speaker was speaking, and he had been building this case all weekend that we needed to find our identity in Jesus, not in the things of this world. And he used an acronym, uh, PAWS, P-A-W-S, and, and he, he just challenged us. He said, are you finding your, 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 um, your, your identity in possessions, in, in your appearance, in your wealth? in your success, he said any one of those can be taken away from you like that. And if that's where your identity is rooted, you're going to fall apart. And, and so we're having this Saturday night chapel session, and he's speaking, and, and he's really challenging the students. And he says, you know what, to close the chapel session, I'm going to invite anybody who wants to pray just to come up to the stage up here in the front um, and just pray. And uh, leaders, if you would, come up and pray with your students. And, and we're just going to let this go. Like we're just, you know, he turned to the musician and, and he said, just play till your fingers bleed and then you keep playing, right? If there's people up here praying, we're just going to keep going. And immediately the planner in me is like, uh-uh, because this is our small group place. Like y'all got to get out. Like this, we got a big group and we need space and we're supposed to talk about what you're talking about. Not like sit here and pray, right? I'm just being honest. That was the planner in me. I got a big group of students and I need to know what to do with them. And so I went back to the, the media booth and to the Miracle Camp staff and I was like, hey, so um, this is where we have our small groups, like in the chapel, because we're a big group. Um, where do you want us to go? And they're like, oh, hadn't even thought about that. How about the cafeteria? It's a big space. And I was like, okay, that'll work. If you've never been to Miracle Camp, you're in the chapel. To get to the cafeteria, you have to leave the chapel, walk out the doors across, you know, parking lot to the, the main lodge and down the stairs into the, the, the cafeteria. A lot of space. It could work for us. I'm like, cool, plan solved. The strategist in me is like, we got this figured out. And so I go back to my group, and we're sitting in the back left side of the chapel, and, and uh, the, the band, the, the musician is playing, and people are going up to pray, and some of our students have gone up to pray, and, and uh, it's just really kind of this moving moment. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, don't leave. Stay here. If you leave, you're going to mess this up, Chris. And I was like, ah, but we're supposed to talk in small groups, right? But I was like, okay, we'll, we'll stay. And God, you're in control, you're in charge, it'll be a few minutes of distraction, but not a big deal, we'll get to small groups soon, right? Yeah, that's, that wasn't God's plan. And so we, the guy said amen, and I told our group, just sit and wait, stay here, right? We're just going to let these five groups up here pray, finish out. And literally, I was thinking like five minutes, and then we're going to have our small group time. Five minutes turned into ten minutes, and I was like, okay, you prayed enough, like, come on. Like, you can't be that, you can't be that messed up. You need 10 minutes of prayer, right? Like, let's go. We got to talk about stuff. And they're up there, and I'm, I'm watching. And all of a sudden, in, in my group over here, the Holy Spirit just began to move. Because we didn't leave this space, all of a sudden, students started to pray together. And then leaders, I saw a leader get up and walk over to a group of students and pray with them. And I saw other students move around, and other students. And it was just this amazing moment. 15 minutes goes by, and I'm like, this is amazing, but y'all are still praying, seriously? Like, we got to go. And the Holy Spirit's like, Chris, just calm down. 
I got this. 20 minutes goes by. And finally, the last group gets up and leaves, and the youth pastor is just completely appreciative of me allowing them to stay in that space. And so I moved our group up to the front rows, and, uh, and I said, listen, I want to challenge you guys. Following Jesus isn't easy. You've got to be bold in your faith. And I said, God did something here. I had stuff I was going to say, but I'm setting all that aside. Like, God obviously did something here, and I want to know what. Would you be willing to stand up and share? And so the first one was an eighth grader, stood up in the front row, and he shared what God said to him. And then another student stood up, and another student, and another student, and another student, and another student, and leaders stood up. And it was just amazing to watch stories of, of brokenness, of relationships that had fallen apart, of siblings that had been fighting, depression of suicide, all of this stuff. And it was amazing to, to watch. But as I challenged the students, I said, you know, this is great, but camp life isn't real life. God does amazing things here at camp, but we're going home tomorrow. We're going back to our families, to our schools, our neighborhoods, our teams, all of these things. We're going to be challenged in our faith. Can you follow Jesus on Monday like you're following him this weekend? Because it's going to stretch you. It's going to challenge you. It's not going to be easy. But the rewards, the rewards are amazing. I love what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This, friends, this is what's unique about our faith. This is what's unique about Christianity. It gives us hope in the face of insurmountable obstacles, courage in, in the face of giants, strength when we're weak. Our, our faith reminds us that, that one day there will be an end to our suffering, that, that one day we will not need to persevere anymore because we will be in the presence of God, that one day there won't be any more struggles, that one day we'll, sin, we'll spend eternity with God in a world where no sin or suffering exists, a world where death has been conquered. One day, there will be no more need for Jesus to write a letter to a church like he did to Philadelphia, to say, hold on, stay strong in your faith, finish the race. Until that day, though, I want to I give you some things that I've discovered in my own life that have helped me through difficult seasons when I've had to patiently endure and trust in God. So I want to challenge you to, to, first of all, trust in the sovereignty of God. Uh, sovereignty simply means that, that God is ultimately in control, that he knows everything that's happening. And yes, we have free will and we get to choose, but ultimately God is in control and everything is working towards an end that he has already designed. Uh, this, this passage in Revelation actually refers back to Isaiah chapter 22. And in that chapter, there's a story about um, a, a servant who is the castle administrator, the palace administrator. And he, he's one person below the king. 
and he is in charge of the keys to the castle, right? And what doors he opens, they stay open. What doors he closes, they stay closed. And this particular administrator has been demoted, and another servant has been promoted. And so it's just a reminder, it's a charge to that servant that you have the keys. And what you decide, what you open, is what will stay open. And what you close is what will stay closed. And I think this is a great picture for us, that God is ultimately in control, That Jesus, as the focus point of our worship, is the key that opens the door to eternity. And that when he opens that door, there's a promise that he gives us that that door will stay open to us. I remember reading an article in preparation for the sermon, and in it, this, this well-known pastor uh, made, and, and he would even say this was an oversimplification, but he said, you know, as we think about what God is doing in the world, in the universe, throughout time, he said, we really kind of understand 1%. God understands 100%. So he understands the one that we can see and understand and grasp. He also understands the 99%. Obviously, that's a, a massive oversimplification, but I think the principles are true. That God understands this world so much more than we do. And yet so often we want to take over the keys and we want to open doors and we want to close doors rather than trusting God to do his work in our lives. So I want you to to trust in the sovereignty of God. I want you to trust also in the promises of God. Notice in Revelation, Jesus says things like, I will force them to bow down. I will protect you. I am coming. Over and over and over throughout the Bible, we see these promises of, of God that there is this hope that we can have. And it's not, not this, this hope like, I hope I get a new car, I hope I get to go on vacation, I, I hope I get to, you know, retire and all of these things. It's a confident expectation that God's promises will come true. That's what our Christian hope is. And our hope is in Jesus. And this promise allows us to move through difficult times when, when we're called to patiently endure. Because even in the midst of those horrific moments in life, we can know that one day this will all be over. And that we will be restored and redeemed back into the presence of God. And and it may not happen on this side of death. It it may not. And and that's why we can can go to funerals of of men and women and students and children who love Jesus. And we can celebrate through our tears. It can be this bittersweet moment. Because we know that they have hope in Jesus. Confident expectation that he will return and that, that we will be restored. And that cancer will exist no more, suffering will exist no more. None of the things that are horrible about this world that we have to endure will exist any longer. Trust in the promises of God. Trust also in the timing of God. Jesus, I already read the promise. He said, I'm coming. But he puts a disclaimer on there. He says, I'm coming soon. Jesus promised us that, that one day he will return to restore everything. If you, if you fast forward in the book of Revelation, you see Jesus in Revelation chapter 19 coming back. And he's not coming back as, as California surfer Jesus, right? There's no hippie Jesus. There's no like, hey, I love everybody and, and you know, let's play with the kids and have a lamb and it's all going to be good, right? Jesus is coming back as conquering king. It's the same Jesus we read about in the Gospels and yet it's a completely different picture of Jesus, Listen to how John describes the return of Jesus, Revelation chapter 19. It says, I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood. Most theologians' commentaries, when you read that, talk that that blood was the blood of his enemies. His robe was dipped in, covered in the blood of his enemies. And his title was the word of God, which we see John use in chapter one of his gospel. And he's not coming alone. 
It says, the, the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. This is not the Jesus we talk about in Sunday school. He'll release the fierce wrath of God, the, the almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe and his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Throughout the Bible, we see the passage after passage after passage about Jesus' return. It's a, a core tenet of our faith, the imminent return of Jesus to judge and restore this world. And when we go through difficult times, when we're called upon to, to patiently endure trials and tribulations, we have to trust that God's promises are true. We have to trust that, that God is in control, that he's sovereign, that his timing is better than our timing, even if his timing isn't until Jesus returns. See, if you keep going in Revelation past 19, you, you get to chapter 20 and 21 and 22, and we see the binding of Satan and the judging of all of humanity. And then you see the restoration of all things. The ultimate moment when God returns, ushers in a, a new heaven and a new earth, new Jerusalem. We see a, a return back to the Garden of Eden in this state when God walked with mankind. There was no need, Scripture says, Revelation says, there was no need for a son because God gave light to the world. And he lived with us. And so my, my question is simple. When, when you're going through difficult times, when you're called to patiently endure, where do you put your hope? Is it in Jesus? Or is it in your possessions? Is it in your, your accomplishments, your appearance, your wealth, your success? All of those are frail and fickle things to lay down as your foundation. Any one of them can be gone like that. And those will not get you through challenging times. Those will not help you endure. And yet Jesus will. A life built on the promises of God is a life that has the ability to endure everything this world throws at it. You know, I went, <clears throat> went down to see Jason and uh, walked in his room and kind of seemed appropriate. He was watching the second Creed movie, right? So I walk in and I'm like, well, I know what I'm doing for the next hour. And I pulled up the chair and we just sat and watched a movie together. And then we talked for a couple hours. You know what Jason never talked about? He never talked about why him. He never said, why am I going through this? Why didn't the surgery take the first time? Why do I have to go through this again? He didn't talk about the frustration of laying there for six weeks. He talked about his life group and how they were encouraging him. He FaceTimed into him last Wednesday as he laid there in the bed. He talked about his friends that had come down to visit him and talked about people and doctors and nurses that he was able to, to minister to and encourage and share their faith. He talked about a, a nurse that had walked away from church when he, she was a teenager and she discovered that he's a Christian and he was bold in his faith. And he's witnessing to this nurse for the next six weeks in the hospital. My friend Aaron and Brandy, I'm excited to share that just in the last 24, 36 hours, Peyton woke up. They were able to take out the ventilator from her mouth. She remembered falling. She was able to talk with them. And Aaron said that he got her to laugh, and it was one of the sweetest sounds that he'd ever heard. 
Jason's still in the hospital. Jason's, apart from a miracle of God, is never going to leave that wheelchair. Peyton is still in the hospital. We don't know if she's going to need more surgeries. We don't know. There's not a a happy 30-minute sitcom answer to these stories. God doesn't promise that to us. But he does promise us hope and strength to endure because of Jesus. You know, the church at Philadelphia could have given up at any point. In the face of religious opposition and cultural opposition, in the face of the, the Jews who were pretending to be Jews but really weren't, in the face of all of the decades of earthquakes, the church at Philadelphia could have easily given up. And yet they didn't. Because of that, Jesus mails them a letter. And he says, I'm proud of you. Well done. Keep holding on. Wouldn't it be amazing for us at the end of our lives to receive a similar letter from Jesus that says, listen, you you had to endure a lot of stuff. I I didn't wish it on you. I didn't want it for you. You had to endure a lot in your lifetime. I'm so glad you held on to me. Well done. Let's go celebrate. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for your son Jesus. Lord, thank you for he is what we can put our foundation upon. That it's not on our own strength, our own wisdom, our own accomplishments. We can't give enough, serve enough, go to church enough, read the Bible enough to earn our way into your presence only through Jesus. Father, in the, the face of suffering, in the face of patient endurance, in the face of, face of, of difficult seasons of waiting, would you remind us that you are there And that sometimes in the waiting is where you do your most transformative work. Father, give us patience to continue to allow you to work during these seasons of our lives. And give us the hope that we can keep our eyes focused on your son Jesus, on his return, and on the restoration of all things we read at the end of our book. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The band's going to play one more song and we've got prayer workers at the side if you would love to to be prayed over prayed with no matter what's going on in your life encouraged to to use them during this last song after the last song they'll be here as well Uh, if you're not in a life group you hear this every sunday if you're not in a life group get in a life group and talk about this especially this topic you know there's a lot that we need encouragement through and we can find encouragement from each other when we're going through difficult times so if you're not in a life group go to the connection central sign up for one this morning thanks for being